You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. It's uh, really a great honor for me to uh, introduce the next uh, guest uh, speaker uh, from Denver. And uh, this is a facet of our ministry that we want to build, and that's the recovery ministry. You know, I love a scripture that uh, Duan had started off talking about Job. You know, Job suffered catastrophic loss, uh, as uh, Dawn talked about today. And yet, uh, he was faithful to God. He had a few friends that gathered around him, trying to offer him some comfort and advice and counsel. And yet, you know, at the end, his friends got rebuked for what they did. And I want to just pick it up. You don't have to turn your Bible there, but I want to read this. It illustrates to us how difficult it can be to counsel when someone's really hurting and to meet that need. And yet the Bible teaches us that we need to really be there for one another. We invited this guest speaker to come here because that's his specialty, his recovery ministry, and to help us to really learn some skills and to really learn the heart behind how to counsel and instruct one another during these really troubled and uh, harrowing times. The Bible says in Job chapter 42, and you can just listen, God said this. He says, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanites, he says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. You know, despite the fact that they really tried, I mean, they were actually literally there with Job, sitting with him and talking to him, and yet God said, that, man, you, you didn't do it right. And they gave a lot of their own opinions. They gave a lot of their own morality. And yet God says that you, did, you totally missed the point. You did not tell them about me. So much of recovery, and that's what I appreciate about our guest speaker, is that the focus of his message is about Jesus Christ. And that's our theme for 2016. And that's how we recover. We focus on Jesus himself. Now, Tim Summerlin is a very smart man. Let me uh, just read off. I've got to read off some of his uh, degrees. I'm just going to start off with one, and it covers everything else. He's a do- he has a doctorate from Colorado State University in education and counseling. He has a master's degree in secondary counseling. And, uh, he, uh, but more than that, he's just been a faithful brother for the last 33 years. He currently serves in the In Motion Ministry in uh, Denver. Uh, besides teaching, he's an adjunct professor at the University of Denver. And at this time, let me welcome to you Tim Summerlin, who's going to be speaking to us today. Tim. Wow. That was quite an introduction. That was encouraging. I kind of wonder, who is he, who's he talking about there? I like that guy. But uh, thank you so much, Ken, for that introduction. And we can get that slide coming up, please. Thank you so much. So my name is Tim Summerlin, and I'm, I'm from Denver, Colorado. And I really wanted to thank Ken and Lena and the elders for having me out here. You guys have got great leadership in this church. And these guys take good care of me. Every time I turn around, Ken's like, hey, you want some water? You want some coffee? How about a donut? He's always trying to feed me. I said, I'm big enough already. Come on. Quit trying to feed me so much. But um, I want to bring you greetings from the Rocky Mountain churches. 
And uh, we love the, the L.A. church and what you guys have done out here. It's been so encouraging to see God work. I want to speak with you today about a subject that's very dear to my heart. And it's called Jesus' Creative Heart to Heal. Finding new perspective on your journey of recovery. And I'm in Los Angeles this weekend to introduce a unique and innovative ministry called Disciples in Motion. And we've been having Disciples in Motion in Denver for four years now. It's been growing tremendously. And about a year or so ago, we started spreading it to other churches. We came out and the South Bay Church uh, close by started it. And they had a successful go last year. They're going to redo it again this year. And then we went to Dallas, and Dallas really picked it up. And they have like 60 or 70 people attending every Sunday. They've done a really good job with it. Um, we're starting it in other churches, and Ken might be out here to possibly look at Westside and how you guys might do the, the, the ministry as well. In Motion is unlike any recovery ministry you've ever seen. It's fun. Can I get an amen on that? Recovery can be fun. It's inspiring. It creates faith. And most of all, it's Jesus-centered. And we teach a person and not just principles at In Motion. It's very flexible. We don't do our way or the highway stuff. So, but who comes to In Motion? Here's what we say. Anybody with anything that interferes with your walk with God. Anybody with anything. So we have people with all sorts of different issues that come. We call them hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And did I mention that Jesus is at the center of this ministry? Did I say that? Good, yeah. You know, Jesus is amazing. He is our all. Jesus is who we walk with. He's who we worship. He's our Lord and our Savior. He is everywhere in the Scriptures. Matter of fact, Jesus is not the main character in the Bible. Jesus is actually the walking Bible Himself. He is the Bible. He's the living Word. And he lives today to help his people, y'all. You know, both of my kids live in China right now. It's kind of weird. Didn't see that coming. They're both on a mission church over there. And a few summers back, I was over there visiting, and this little Chinese uh, college student comes up to me, and he asked me in very broken English, and I listened to him in my non-existent Chinese, he asked me, why do you believe the Bible? And I thought, oh gosh, I can't even hardly say hi to this person with the understanding issue here. So what am I going to answer? So here's what I told him. I said, I believe the Bible because every time I read it, I see Jesus loving people in a way that I can't get away from. I can't deal with that. It's too much. That's what makes me believe the Bible is I see Jesus in there just loving people in a crazy way. And he said, oh, okay, I got it. And he was baptized a couple days later. <laughs> you know, I love speaking about Jesus. Later on, I'm going to be talking to the leaders here about counseling insights from the 12-year-old Jesus. Even when he was 12 years old, he was a pretty amazing guy. But I want to share something. A few years back in Denver, I started struggling with impurity. Something I thought had been long gone from my life. And I looked around for help in the church, and uh, I found out there's a lot of other people with the same issues. And then a lot of other issues. I started talking to a lot of people. And then I figured, we just aren't doing enough as a fellowship to help each other through some of these really difficult times of life. 
So thus we started the Disciples in Motion. Today we're going to talk about living our lives as Christians with our sins and our weaknesses, our grief, and our character issues. Many of us have been at this for a long time, and life presents a lot of struggles, doesn't it? And you know what? It doesn't get any easier when you get older. Can I get an amen from the older guys out there? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Appreciate that right there. It doesn't get a whole lot easier. Matter of fact, in some ways it gets more challenging the older we get. Life can get even more difficult. And you know, we're going to talk about the issues that bother us today. There's not a lot we can do about stuff around us, is there? You know, like your family or your work situation. There's some stuff outside of us that we can't deal with, but we can deal with stuff inside of us. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let me ask you a question. What do you have to work on? Oh, you don't have anything? Oh, let me see if I can refresh your memory just a little bit, all right? How about lingering sin? You know, pornography, smoking, alcohol, lust and fantasy. Maybe there's anger or weight issues. Sins that have a staggering effect on your heart and on how you experience your God. Maybe there's secret sins that you've never told anyone about. Or you do the, quote, safe thing, and you find an ally, and you have a truce with them. Or maybe you're the same as you are as you were years ago, and you're not changing. And maybe that frustrates you. Perhaps there's relationship issues in your life. Things like bitterness, anger, maybe resentment, hurts that not only continue, but even grow over time. Are there people you shy away from? You can't seem to forgive, maybe? Perhaps there's people you just don't speak to anymore, or family members you just can't get along with. Perhaps right here in the West Side Church. Maybe your challenge lies in a stubborn refusal to develop a, develop a Christ-like character. And you're kind of fake with people. You go out to share your faith, your faith and maybe you're a bit robotic. It's just not yourself. You're not authentic. Possibly there's childhood issues for some of you guys. Things that seem to shape your current life that happened years ago. You were abused, and the lingering effects of shame, mistrust, and hurt still come up years later. Or you were raised in a dysfunctional family, and you're bringing that, that dysfunction into your current family. I got in an argument with my son a couple years ago. And he said, Dad, he was like 22 years old. He knew everything. He said, Dad, you don't understand what it's like to grow up in a conservative Christian family. I said, you're right, I don't. And then I thought, I said, yeah, but you don't know what it's like to grow up in a Methodist dysfunctional one. And he goes, oh, you're right. But I had to listen to him, right? We all have our dysfunction that we bring in from our families. We have to deal with that stuff. Maybe you're dealing with grief and loss issues. Maybe for many years. Or you've got recent losses that nobody can quite relate to. And you're getting to feel isolated. Perhaps you're that rare person that doesn't have any challenges right now. I want to ask you to do three things real quick. Number one, I want you to thank God. Number two, I want you to get ready. Because they're coming. 
And then number three, look at the guy next to you and say, how can I help you out? All right? But these are just some of the challenges that we face as Christians. But let me ask you another question here. How honest are we as a church? Have you ever tried to have a deeper fellowship time? And you open up and the guy goes, hey, how about them Broncos? Right? Or out here, how about them Rams, right? And they just kind of shut you down and you're like, oh, I tried. Do you feel safe when you open up your heart? Are your conversations simply surface conversations? Or do you get deeply involved with each other? You know, I've asked this question to many Christians. Why do you think it's difficult to be vulnerable in a church setting? Here's what I hear people tell me. They say, Tim, I've got a status to maintain. I can't be vulnerable. They'll say things like, I'm afraid if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. That was one of my answers, by the way. Some people say, I should be over this problem by now. I'm kind of embarrassed about it. Finally, people say, you know what? Nobody really knows the unique problems I have, and nobody can really help me. I'm just too different. Well, what happens to a person or to a church that acts like everything's fine and that you don't have any issues to deal with? We appear phony and fake. We might be unmotivated. You know, the preacher gets up and he preaches on evangelism or giving, and we respond apathetically. Maybe we even find it repulsive, and we begin to lose our gratitude. Our sin grows and gets worse. Our hearts can get crusty, and our understanding darkens. Our vision for change diminishes. Relationships might stay stagnant, and this can go on for years, even decades. On the other hand, what happens when a church is real and honest and vulnerable? What my friend back home in Denver, Michelle, she calls it real church. What happens when we expose our weaknesses and we act like this is who I really am? Well, here's what happens. God is glorified. God is glorified in our weaknesses, but he's hidden in our pride. People are actually attracted to weakness, not to people that have it all together. You ever notice that? People are attracted to weakness. They like it. They don't like it when you got it all together, you're the perfect Christian guy. They like it when you're weak. We have visitors come to uh, Disciples in Motion. They go, this is Christianity? I can do this. I like this. I like it when people are weak around me because that's what I am. And then there's connections that are made. Then we can all bring Jesus into the picture and get stronger. You know, most, most non-Christians don't wake up in the morning and say, I need to find the right doctrine today. They don't do that. Most non-Christians wake up in the morning and they go, my life's a mess, or my marriage is a mess, and I need to go get some help. They get the doctrine later on. They're looking for people that have been there, done it, and want to help. You know, when we're honest, we find ourselves closer to God and to others, and we're able to live not perfect, but genuine and authentic lives. We're not perfect, but we're genuine and authentic. Today what I want to do is illustrate a man who provides every answer to life's challenges and has done so for the last 2,000 years. Make no mistake about it. What was advocated in the first century is true today. 
no matter what psychological fad, no matter what theory or book says. It's still true today. So let's talk about Jesus. And you guys jump on in, okay? Let's make this thing a little fun here. You know, Jesus was and he is God's answer to every change that we need in our lives. Jesus healed many people, all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. Mental, physical, spiritual, emotional. The heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because Jesus knew that was what it takes to love God. And Jesus was all about people loving God. Consider these examples about Jesus and the many people he interacted with in his three years of ministry. Jesus performed very few miracles that did not involve a healing. So we're going to check out all the healings in the New Testament in about five minutes. You ready to go? Are you engaged here? All right, let's do this thing. Jesus healed a man who had never spoken before so that he could talk and connect to other people. Do you sometimes feel like you don't quite connect? Then he restored somebody's speech and hearing. Again, radically changing a life. Jesus took a woman who had a bent spine for 18 long years and straightened it out. You ever felt bent out of shape? Thank you for the laughter. Then Jesus came across a guy who had been an invalid for 38 years, who had been apparently making excuses, and with a little questioning and a little faith, he healed this guy so he could walk again. In full view of everyone. Here's a question for you. Do you make excuses about the issues in your life? Like, oh, I'm going to struggle with lust the rest of my life. That's my thorn in the flesh. Hey, I love this one here. The invalid man that was carried by four friends through a roof. He interrupted Jesus' Bible talk. And because of all five of their faith, Jesus healed the man. Most of us need at least four really good friends in our life to make it, don't we? This guy had four good friends. Then there's a time in front of a really crowd of angry religious people that Jesus healed a guy with a shriveled hand. On the wrong day, by the way, on the Sabbath, And then he restored him to normalcy. You want to feel normal again? Good. Go to Jesus. Then there is a demon-possessed people. There is a naked guy running around tombstones, cutting himself. You know, I see this in high school all the time. Kids actually cutting themselves. They do. I had a little guy one day, told me he was cutting himself. I said, where? He goes, on my ribs. So he pulled up his shirt. And he had three huge, deep cuts into his ribs. It happens still today. But this guy, after a little interaction with Jesus, they found him clothed and in his right mind. You see, recovery, guys, is not just a change of behavior. It's also a change of our hearts, our minds, and our relationships. Jesus healed a boy who was out of control once. Again, kind of a typical high school. And... uh, He healed this little boy out of control. And then there's another guy um, who was friends with the demoniac. You ever felt like you hung around with the wrong crowd? Yeah, he healed that guy too. Then there's this non-Jewish woman. Her, Her daughter was sick. So Jesus kind of dismissed her at first. And then she challenged him. And he was like, oh, he's a bit shocked. And he came back and he said, "Um, I've never found somebody with such great faith. And he healed his, her daughter. You know, a little honesty go a long way. You're not going to offend Jesus with your honesty. He's not going to freak out and say, oh no, what do I do with this thing? 
Be honest with him. It goes a long way. Then there's a guy that was born blind. He got his sight restored. Then there's two other guys that were together, two guys, and they received their sight. And then there are another two people who had to make a little ruckus and uh, got Jesus' attention. So what did he do? He spit in their eyes. He did. He spit right in their eyes and healed them, got their sight back. It showed his effective and creative heart to heal people. Maybe you need to do something a little crazy to get his attention. At one time, the gospel writer couldn't keep up with all the healings. So he just wrote it up and he said, All who are sick in the villages, towns, and countryside, and in the marketplaces were healed. Then there's this one guy with leprosy. He was healed, and then ten more guys with leprosy got healed, but only one came back. Jesus healed whether you are thankful or not. Peter's mother-in-law, she got up and served him afterwards. And by the way, the normal response to healing is being thankful. There's a woman that had blood hemorrhaging. And after spending all she had, she sought Jesus out, despite a potentially embarrassing situation, to be healed. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything? Well, she had. But Jesus took care of her. I love this one. Malchus's ear. Remember Malchus? Yeah, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, just doing his job. And Peter goes up and whops off the guy's ear. You know, Jesus wasn't all concerned about how things happened. He didn't start quizzing him and say, what happened to your ear? And how'd that happen? And why were you standing in this spot at that time? Jesus just took care of the guy's ear. Sometimes we get too worried about how things happen to us. We get too bogged down and we spend too much money thinking in terms of how I got the way I got. I'd encourage you to spend most of your energy getting better and not worrying about how you got where you got. Then there's a centurion servant. That was a long-distance healing, even before the Internet happened. Then there is a royal's official son. You know, there's no class warfare with Jesus. And then finally the big ones. Jesus actually raised people from the dead. His friend Lazarus and Jairus' his daughter. And then there's another summary statement. It says, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. And guys, these are just the ones that are written down. Jesus healed early in the morning. He healed um, around the noon hour, late at night, or at night, and then late into the evening. 24-7, 365, this guy was healing people. Listen to how he healed people. He spit on people's eyes. He spit on people's tongues. He touched their eyes. He stuck his finger in their ears. He spoke, commanded, cried, scoffed. He ignored people. He touched people. He got touched. He prayed with people. And I think he laughed a lot of the times he's doing this stuff. It seems to me he's having a great time in his ministry. If nothing else, Jesus was a creative man. Listen, Jesus healed every age person. He healed every gender of person, socioeconomic status person. He healed every political stance. It didn't matter if you're a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, a Green Party, a Blue Party. It didn't matter what party you're part of. He was going to heal you. Jesus healed prominent people or poor people. He healed religious and non-religious people. It didn't matter what your religion was. In fact, the less religious people seem to get more healings. 
I'll let you figure that one out. Think about it anyways. Jesus healed you if it was your fault or if it wasn't your fault. If you had nothing to do with the problem, he is equal opportunity healer. Jesus healed whether you responded in gratitude or not. Some went away and told everybody, and other people went away ungrateful. But there's one healing that has arrested me from the first time I read it, 35 years ago. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. This was one of those stories when I read it, I dropped my Bible like, no, come on. Are you serious? This one just grabbed my attention for some reason. Let's look in Luke chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Can you imagine? There are two large groups here near the city gate. One group was coming out and one group was going in. One of these groups was in deep grief isolation, and fear. And one group was on a mission to change the entire world. They could have simply passed each other up. The woman caught up in her grief, and Jesus on a mission. But Jesus was arrested by this woman. His heart went out to her, and he proceeded to radically change her life. You know, I want to share something with you guys. I've fallen in love with Jesus years ago. Because of what he did. Recently, though, I've fallen deeper in love with him because of who he is. And in this story, I want to share a couple things that I see about Jesus in his character. And I want to ask you to look at your own life today, okay? The first thing is Jesus sees. Jesus saw this woman in her distress, and he was arrested. What does Jesus see in you? Does he see sin? Does he see that you remain in bondage to your sin? Have you quit trying? Have you fought back? Jesus sees your sin, and he still has a vision for you to change. Does Jesus see hurt? Does he see hurt that's been there for many years? Maybe someone abused you in your past, and the memories still bother you today. 
and you're just not sure what to do. Maybe you're still holding on to uh, hurt in the church, like I did for some time, and you just haven't dealt with it yet. Jesus sees your hurt. Does Jesus see disappointment? Is life not what you thought it would be? Your dreams have not panned out the way you thought and prayed about. Or maybe sin has come roaring back into your life and you're disappointed. Does Jesus see despair? Is this one of the meaningless Sunday sermons you're going to sit through and your life stays the same? Brothers and sisters, Jesus sees it all. But secondly, Jesus feels. The Bible says his heart went out to her and he was filled with compassion. Jesus feels. He hurts over your sin or your lack of willingness to change. He hurts over the hurts in your life. Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus feels the rejection of you putting an idol above him. And really that's all sin is. It's putting an idol above Jesus. John Calvin once called the human heart an idol factory. You know, but Jesus knows how to heal a heart. He's not interested in simply getting you to behave differently. He's invested in changing your heart. One of the greatest testimonies, I believe, to Christianity is a testimony of a changed heart. Jesus is able to empathize and sympathize with you. He went through everything that we've gone through. He's just like us, but he never sinned. He knows what frustration feels like, loneliness and despair. And he knows how to overcome it. Guys, Jesus feels. But thirdly, Jesus speaks. He said some things. He said, hey, don't cry. And then he said this one. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Quit being dead. That's what he said. That's my interpretation. What does he say to you? I got a couple things I know he says to you. He says, I love you. He says, I died for you. He said, I accept you right now as you are, but I want change. I have dreams for you that don't include your sin and your hurts. He said, hey, come to me with your hurts. Because I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the true vine. The way, the truth, the life. I'm the door, the gate. I'm also the good shepherd. Jesus speaks into our hearts the solution to life's problems. You see it all throughout the Gospels. He speaks simplicity into our complexity with words that cut right to the heart of who we are and what we need. Have you ever felt like your life's really complex? I do. Can I get an amen? Like, yeah, my life's pretty complex. I watched Ken this weekend. I'm like, that guy's life's complex, man. He's telling me all these things got going on, kids here and there, and college this and that, and all over the place. I know ministers. These guys work hard, man. These guys are all out and about. I saw Steve Marici last night. I'm like, do you ever go home? Do you ever sleep? All of our lives are complex. 
Jesus speaks simplicity into our complexity. And those words change us. Jesus speaks truth into our minds to clear up the insidious lies that we've come to believe and live by. That's a big thing with disciples in motion. We talk about the lies that we not only come to believe, but we start living by those lies. Because Satan's a what? He's a big fat liar. And a matter of fact, his language is what? Lying. That's his native language. So Jesus speaks truth into that. In over 25 years of counseling, I've seen this over and over again, that we believe lies, and then we start living by those lies. One such lie that we've uh, cleared up and in motion is once an addict, always an addict. That's a big fat lie. It's just not in the Bible. Nothing can be further from the truth. Scriptures speak very clearly about how God identifies us. There are well over 60 words in the Bible that identify us in different ways. And we tell people, choose to believe those words instead of the lies. Fourthly, though, Jesus touches. He touches. He stopped the funeral in mid-procession, and he said, hey, it's over with. He touched the bleeding woman. He touched the paralytic. He touched blind people's eyes. How will he touch your life? In what unique way will he touch you? In Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul says, you are God's workmanship. He also calls it handiwork. In the Greek, I know like two Greek words, just to let you know. But I know this one. In the Greek, that word handiwork is the word poetria. It's where we get the word poetry. Paul says, hey, you guys are God's poetry. You're, you're a unique song of God. And so if we're unique, then Jesus is going to touch us in unique ways. And then finally, Jesus presents. Ta-da! He healed this man, brought him back from the dead. Here's what witnesses that saw it said. All they could say is, hey, God's come to save his people. That's all they, they don't know what else to say. They couldn't explain it. All they could say is, God's come down to visit his people. You know, there was once this blind guy. He was blind his whole life. And what did he say after he got his sight? He said, I used to be blind, but now I see. They say, how'd that happen? He goes, I don't know. Ask that guy over there. He's the guy that did it for me. Jesus presents. He creates a story. You know, I don't know what your story is going to be. I do know it's going to be creative, and it's going to make Jesus look better and better. You get to create a narrative, a story of change. And then you get to say, I don't know. Check this guy out. That's all I can tell you. I've had so many of those times in my life where I'm like, I don't know. Jesus is very creative. I want to tell you a quick story, and then we'll close out here today. So I'm convinced that Jesus changes us in very creative and un unusual ways. And uh, I see it in the Bible, but I got to experience this in my life a couple years back. I have two children. I have a daughter, older daughter, and then her little brother, Tim. And uh, my daughter is one of those, like, perfect kids, sort of, that grew up in the church and became a Christian in middle school. And, you know, she had her issues, but she's just all, all about God, right? And then her little brother came along. And uh, he was a little... A little more challenging in some ways. But he became a Christian in ninth grade also. 
So my daughter goes to China about six years ago on a one-year mission. She's still over there, by the way. And uh, she loves it. They're getting ready to plant a church in Shenzhen and uh, her and her husband. So by this time, my son had uh, gone to college, and he had, um, he had been seriously abused by some people, and um, he, he lost his faith. He not only lost his faith, he became an atheist. He became like a hardcore atheist. He was tough. He became very cynical and angry. When he was in the house, you're kind of walking in on eggshells. You ever had one of those situations where you just can't really say anything? Well, he had one of those situations for years. Well, my daughter in China fell in love with some guy from Mexico, and he showed up, and uh, he actually showed up in China when I was over there visiting, and he kept tapping me on the shoulder. I'm like, get away from me, kid. I'm trying to rescue my daughter. I want to get her back to the States to get her married. And he kept tapping me on the shoulder. Hey, I want to introduce myself. So anyways, Adrian, love him, he married my daughter, and the wedding was coming up. They got married in China. And I told my son, hey, buddy, you, you got to go to the wedding. He's like, I'm not going to go. It's stupid. It's just stupid. Who goes to China and gets married? <laughs> I said, your sister does, right? So we finally bought him an airplane ticket, $1,200. And honestly, I thought, great, I just spent $1,200 to have my son go over and discourage a bunch of Chinese Christians. I really did. I thought, he's going to go over and make a mess. He went over there. His first day or two, he went to Hong Kong to worship a Buddha thing, big Buddha statue over there. And I called him. I remember he was angry, and he's just like, I'm not talking to those stupid Christians. So I flew over a couple days later for the wedding. And I remember one night, I went into a small apartment. There was about 20 or so Chinese college students praying in Mandarin for their finals. And I walk into this place, and my son's in there. And I looked at my wife, I said, what's he doing here? And they're all praying in Mandarin. We had the wedding, and I just noticed his, his spirit was starting to lift, and he's smiling again. What happened was he started talking to Christians. And he was so impressed by their authenticity. These are people that did not grow up in a Christian culture at all. We came back to the United States, we got in a big argument. And in the middle of his argument, he goes, Dad, I got to go. I got an interview to move to China. So what are you talking about? He goes, I want to go over there and teach English like Danielle does. Okay. The next couple of months he spent time with our evangelist and our um, elders. They were friends of his. And he got restored to God. And there he is. He's the guy right in the middle there. Um, that's Jesse next to him, a guy that he helped, he helped become a Christian. And he still lives in China. He lives right next door to his big sister who he thought was really stupid and crazy. He's best friends with her husband now. Um, he just got accepted to a graduate program in Hong Kong. Um, look at his smile. That convinced me that God does not script out how we change. We never saw that coming. I had no idea. I couldn't have written that if I tried to. You know, is it possible for me to overstate Jesus' healing ministry? I'll let you decide. But I'm not sure I can overstate this man, Jesus, and what he does for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Jesus' creative heart was to restore man to a relationship to God. And he was absolutely bent on doing that to his very last drop of blood, his sweat. 
and his tears. And the good news is Jesus does that today. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. He did that back then, but today I'm not so sure. Well, let me clear up that little lie as we close out today. First of all, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He came to help his people. That's just what he does. Secondly, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous. Not, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Are you righteous or sick? We're all sick, and we all need Dr. Jesus. The church can either be a hotel or a hospital, and I know which one I need to be in. Finally, perhaps you've stopped examining your life. Maybe you've gotten a little numb to what's going on inside of your heart. Take time this week to examine your heart. Ask a trusted friend what they think. And better yet, if you're married, ask your spouse. In conclusion, let me ask you to do three things. First of all, renew your faith in Jesus, the healer. Find newness in your walk with him. Fight for your walk by engaging the difficulties of life. Decide to be a part of Jesus' story. You are safe with him. He wants only the very best for you, but he will not force you to engage. You know, Jesus created the whole universe. He created this earth that we call home. He put you in your family, and he created your very life. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants the very best for your life, and he's demonstrated that over and over again. Go back to the ancient paths of the scriptures and look for the basic truths. You know, sometimes we just get away from the basic stuff, don't we? Read your Bible more often, with greater intensity, with more passion, and push yourself to trust in the promises on a much deeper level. Your trust and reliance on the Bible is your number one resource to overcoming anything in life, barring none. Use the Bible, memorize it, depend on it, never ever walk away from it. It's your very life. And most importantly, find Jesus in the Scriptures. He's in every single scripture of the Bible. Trust him, look to him, pray fervently to him, and listen intently to his answers, and revel in your walk with Jesus. Look for a different Jesus. Number two, though, open your heart and open your mouth with your best friends. Satan's greatest scheme for you is to keep you quiet and accept your shame as normal and to continue to live your life in darkness. Bring yourself out into the light. This is half the battle, guys. Jesus created us to be close with each other, to go deeper in our discipleship with one another. Discuss the difficult questions in life. Don't settle for surface talk that's meaningless and doesn't change lives. Be willing to go to uncomfortable places with each other. It's refreshing and attractive to others, and it makes a difference. And then finally, consider coming to Disciples in Motion. We're hoping to get a group started here soon. Consider coming. We have people come to Disciples in Motion. They're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I just know something's not working right in my life. I've got to sit and listen. We're a very welcoming ministry. We hope to get it started here in the Westside Church. So consider coming with whatever you have. In conclusion, let me encourage you with the scripture, and we'll be done. Paul said this about his, his Lord Jesus. He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My prayer today is that all of us benefit from, we share with others, and we stand amazed at Jesus' creative heart to heal. Thank you, and may God bless each of you this week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.